0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers—they're here to help.
1: He has time. Launches it to the end zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams. Throw
0: goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He puts. Oh, Oh, he's the wide open Raider. Let me the ten. Let up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their.
1: Championship. Welcome everybody to the sub FBS edition of Republic of Football. I am your host, Mike Craven of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, joined by our small college insider, Corey Hogue. Corey, been under the weather for the last week or so. Uh, how you doing, man? How you, how you surviving over there?
0: my goodness, man, this has been rough. This is not the time to come down with uh, the worst sickness I've had in probably 15 years, and it's still – it's a battle right now. So we're just making it and trying to get through playoffs time.
1: Yeah. Corey, tougher man than me. He's playing injured. I I sit out when I am, <laughs> when I am sick. I am the stereotypical man who cannot handle like a cough. Uh, but Corey is former military. He is a much stronger and tougher man than I am. So he is getting through this one. It's crunch time folks, we got to get this podcast out there cuz we're in playoff time. Everywhere you look, there are high stakes games. Uh we're going to change up the format a little bit. Usually we kind of look back at the week before before looking uh forward, but since, you know, there's only a few teams remaining here in the playoffs for us, we're just going to look at the game they just played and then look at the game they're about to play. Let's start at the Division 3 level. Oh, and first off, I can't think that there's another state in uh the union that has a team still eligible to win the FBS championship with TCU, FCS, Incarnate Word, Division Two Angelo State, Division Three Mary Harden-Baylor. So uh, good on us in the state of Texas, the Lone Star State, uh, for having somebody uh, still alive at those four and, divisions of football. And
0: not just a chance, not like they're just alive in the playoffs. These teams have a real possibility right. of winning a national title this year.
1: Yeah, it's been uh it's been a cool year in the state of Texas, uh, from the top level down. And that's always fun, you know, because we are a state that prides ourselves from, you know, one A six man football all the way up to FBS football, uh, to be in contention at every single classification. I gotta, division I gotta awesome. tell
0: you. I gotta tell you, man. We at the small college level would like to welcome you at the FBS into what it feels like to challenge for a national title every year in at least one level. <laughs> We're kind of used to this down here. I, we're, we're just glad you guys are joining the party.
1: Uh, me too. Me too. It's <laughs> nice to have important football uh, to write about this time of the year. It's good for everybody. Corey, let's jump into the Division Three playoffs, the Round 2 win of Mary Harden Baylor over Trinity, 24-17 to in San Antonio, the first loss for the Tigers this year. And the second year in a row where UMHB has ended Trinity's season, the crew were up 17 to nothing, 30 seconds into the third quarter before Trinity got on the board. Trinity cut the lead to 24-17 with eleven thirty-four left in the game after a Tucker Horn touchdown pass but couldn't get any closer. Corey, to me, the biggest difference in this game was the UMHB defensive line and then their wide receiver group. That defensive line had six sacks and eight tackles for loss. Kyle King, the quarterback, threw for 289 yards, three touchdowns to three different guys on only 19 completions. Brandon Jordan was a man. Six catches, 139 yards. Jamal Hamilton had a big catch for a touchdown in the third quarter. He had 94. K.J. Miller was kind of quiet with only four catches for 42 yards. Uh, I can't say I get to sit down and watch a lot of Mary Hart and Baylor live in person. I, I got to catch up on Sunday, Monday a lot of the times. That wide receiver core. And just they're different, they're varied abilities. You got one big guy in Jordan, you got one small guy in Miller. Um, they seem to be at Hamilton can kind of do it all after the catch. They seem to really uh suit each other well, and it just didn't seem like Trinity had those kind of guys to match up with when they got the football.
0: Not everybody has anyone to match up with a six-six wide receiver <laughs> like Brandon <laughs> yeah. Jordan, who you know, we'll go through them all individually because they were all outstanding, but Brandon Jordan, uh, it's, it's December it's playoff time. It's time for Brandon Jordan to get his ESPN highlight reel back together. And he started that off last week. Uh, just his ability to use his body to shield. He's almost like a rebounder in basketball. He shields away and gives Kyle King an area to throw the ball to. And Kyle King is very accurate, gets the ball right there. And then, Jordan has the speed that if you don't tackle him, he's gone. And not only the speed, but he's got the strength on his touchdown. He just, he just took a stiff arm and just swiped the defender away and just went like that. That's a, that's an all around package. You don't get at this level. You say KJ Miller statistically was quiet, but it's really interesting to me because it's a pick your poison offense when you're, when you're going to play them, because KJ Miller lines up at the slot beside Brandon Jordan, Good luck. You can't double both. Yeah, You've got to pick your poison on this. Are you going to let K.J. Miller, one of the fastest guys, loose? Or are you going to let the big-bodied guy go out there and bully you for yards, and then, oh, you want to cover those? Well, then that means you're leaving Hamilton open, and Hamilton's got the speed and the hands and everything needed to get down the field. It's a task. I don't know how you stop them. And Trinity did as good a job as I think they could have done but and and that comeback by Trinity was great. Look, Tucker Horn showed how good he is. Um their their stars came out there. It was just a little bit too late. Uh they did have the ball and were threatening to score at the end, but any time this game looked in doubt, the UMHB defensive line like you said took over. And um that was a good sign for them. This was a big challenge on the road. They came through and I got to tell you, the way they're starting to play, I'm not sure anybody's going to be able to take them down this year. Now,
1: yeah, as you mentioned, that defensive line, Tristan Green had two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks. Amari Frazier had a, a tackle or a sack and a half, and a second and a half tackles for loss, eleven total tackles. Uh, Durant Hill had ten tackles. Tommy Bow- Bowden nine tackles. I mean, they were just all over the place, and Trinity's offense just couldn't get it couldn't get it going. Uh, they had a few fourth down stops in the first half uh, that that resulted in turnover on downs. They got Mary Harden uh, the ball back. We talked about it last week. This is, this is Mary Harden time, right? This is where they turn it all on and kind of become Frankensteins and everything starts clicking. And like you mentioned, I, I don't know how you stop a team that's playing complimentary football this way. They can put up points in bunches. Uh, They have a consistent passer who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. We've talked about the wide receiver group. And then defensively, you know, especially at the D3 level, but really at every single level of of football from Pop Warner to the NFL, if you can control the trenches, stop the running game, and get pressure on a quarterback, you're winning winning more football games than you're not. Yeah,
0: and they do that. But there is still one concern. One thing I'd like to see a little more buttoned up from UMHB. We've talked about it all year. It's a young secondary. And that young secondary, if you don't get the pressure on the quarterback, if he's got a couple seconds, Tucker Horn tore him apart. And and that young secondary got torched a couple of times. So coverage could be an issue. Now, to get pressure, what do you have to do? You got to blitz. You got to send extra people. That's always a danger. I, I think the only way... You beat Mary Hardin baylor you're going to have to out physical along the line on both sides and then take advantage of, of some of that, the the young secondary and really just outscore them because they're going to put up some points. So you're going to have to get into a score fest. Good luck with that. I don't I don't really trust anybody trying to outscore a Mary Harden-Baylor right now.
1: Yeah, it, it probably says something that we just don't even discuss Kyle King's excellence. So this, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah. yeah, he throws <laughs> like, for 300 yards yeah. and three touchdowns, no interceptions. That's just what he does.
0: Well, that that's what makes this thing so complimentary and so good is that we're not even talking about Kyle King, but we, you know, my goodness, the guy was at the Manning Passing Academy last year. Not just anyone goes there and what he gained from there he learned how to read defenses better he learned he got better with his accuracy a lot better that camp was so good for him and now he's brought that back and he's got the receivers and the talent around him It, it really is a full team and i i know kyle a little bit i promise you he's not upset we're not giving him all the praise he's glad to see some other guys get some praise too
1: I he he's an example of what I love most about this job, and that's watching guys evolve into what they are, you know, and, and you know, early on in his college career. I mean, he was punting, you know, for, you know, and like uh, he didn't know this was going to happen. And all of a sudden he's leading a D3 national championship team that's, you know, poised to to repeat. And it's just awesome to see his improvements. He hasn't stayed the same. He's gotten better each offseason at something different.
0: He started as JV quarterback. He wasn't even Starting JV quarterback. I think he was backup JV quarterback, his freshman year. His ability, he believed in himself, and, and he 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 bought into himself. And you know what? When you do that, you have focus, you put in the work that goes with that belief, good things happen for you. And Kyle King is is a, a success story that you want all your athletes to watch. It's hard work, it's dedication, it's not being deterred. You're not gonna take no for an answer. You tell me I didn't win the job. I'm going to go work harder, and I'm going to come back and win the job. That's what everybody wants to see, and I can promise you, he's going to be very successful in life, whatever he chooses.
1: Yeah, I think as an older generation, we talk about just the instant gratification of young people today. Like, we weren't the same way when we were 20, but there's plenty of stories like Kyle King out there uh, that deserve as much credit as the guys who jump in the portal four times. Um, Moving on to this weekend really quick. They're going to host Bethel University. Uh, In the third round noon on Saturday, uh, they're 10 and two on the year. The Royals knocked off Wheaton in round one and Linfield in round two. Where do you kind of see, you know, we've talked about it when the passing game and just happened to outscore the crew. Do you see them as a team that can, that can put up a fight here?
0: I I think they could put up a fight just because they went to Linfield and won a big game out in Linfield last week. That was a really good showing. And by the way, that was the best case scenario for Mary Harden Baylor because now they're home. Yeah instead of traveling to Linfield, they probably would have been going to Linfield. So now Mary Harden Baylor is home and that gives them a big advantage. And so I, I, I think Mary Harn Baylor, if you're a UMHB fan this weekend, you want North central Illinois to drop this week as, as well, because if that happens, then you're still at home for the national semifinals. And that would be the best case scenario. Of course, anytime you get to play inside that crew stadium with that crowd it's it's darn near impossible to come out with a win. I saw Wisconsin Whitewater do it once, and it was a brutal game, and I don't know that Bethel's on that same level.
1: Three wins away from repeating as D3 national championships for Mary Hart and Baylor. That's a game we will pay close attention to on Saturday. Moving to the D2 level, Angelo State remained undefeated 12-0 on the season with a 33-7 win over Bemidji State. Uh, the score is a bit misleading because this game was pretty close until the fourth quarter. The Rams took a 13-7 lead uh, with 22 seconds left in the first half. That score remained 13-7 until 9:56 left in the fourth quarter before the Rams scored 20 in the fourth to cruise to a victory. Zach Bronkhurst completed 21 of 41 passes for 337 yards and two touchdowns. The Rams only averaged 3.4 yards a rushing attempt, but they had 44 attempts and they threw the ball 41 times, and you could tell. That 80-plus offensive play number for them really wore down uh, Bemidji State's defense, and they took over in the fourth quarter. Angelo State's defense only gave up 10 yards rushing on 19 carries and came up with five, count them, five interceptions on the year. It just feels like every week I'm waiting for somebody to really push this Angelo State, State team, and every single week you look down and they win by three touchdowns.
0: Yeah, and I was worried this week because they hadn't had that bye week. They hadn't had to deal with that change in rhythm. And it, it showed a little bit. In the first quarter, Bemidji came out, and they grabbed the early momentum, they grabbed an early lead, and Angelo State was dominant. They, they retook the momentum. They were dominant, but it wasn't showing on the scoreboard. Statistically, through three quarters, they looked like a team that should be up 28 but on the scoreboard, they were not. And so it was just a matter of, and you worry about those games because at right. those, you start thinking, all right, we're only getting so many chances. Eventually they're going to, you know, averages, you come back to your average. And so they were able to get some points up that defense. I mean, the interceptions, the forcing, and the turnovers, you keep doing that. It's easy to put up some points. And, and <laughs> at the end of the game, it looks, it looks pretty comfortable. I mean, that's a pretty comfortable victory. Uh, Bemidji. They just got brutalized. They didn't really have a chance. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't, they could throw the ball occasionally, but that's, that is a defense that's run by Adam Clark, who used to be head coach at Western New Mexico before he he moved over to Angelo and coach Gersh is a defensive guy too. Those guys together have been so dangerous for the Lone Star Conference and the rest of the country because they're very aggressive. They have press man on the corners. They'll have one safety deep. It looks almost a lot like an NFL defense a lot of times, and and then they're blitzing. They're sending guys from here and there, and they get home. It, it and then the defensive backs are always looking to jump that route and to, to see where you're going. But they do it well. Like they they're very IQ smart on there. They, they it's it's not risk as much as it is calculated risk, and those tend to work out for you a little better.
1: Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on the quarterback uh, situation? It seems like earlier in the year, you know, this was a pretty run-heavy, run-dominant offense, and it still is for a lot of the, you know, they ran the ball 44 times, so they're going to run the ball a-, a lot. But it feels like Bronkhorst is-, is getting more trust, uh, getting more uh, ability to pass the ball. And while he doesn't complete all of his passes, he's not going to be a 75%, 80% completion guy, they average 16 yards of a- completion. And so they're becoming a little bit more big play on top of that running game. Uh, it feels like that side of the ball is getting a little bit more multi-dimensional than maybe it was, you know, the first month of the year.
0: He he's a guy that is a bit underrated too at the quarterback because he's the perfect game manager for that system. He is exactly what Angelo State needs to run that offense. Gersh does not want the high flying pass attack that that puts up 50 60 points. He wants to grind it out use the run to set up play action. It And, and Bronkhorst is the perfect guy for that. He doesn't care about the numbers. He doesn't care about player of the year. He cares about wins. That's what he cares about. And, and so when you've got the leader of your offense there, everybody else kind of follows off that. So they all work together. They just care about the win. They have a dynamic running back. Uh, you do worry outside of, you know, Alfred Greer's been injured. Yeah. So not having him has been a problem. But the, Nate Omeyabu, the guy is just incredible. Uh, the guy can, he's just a bruising back. And they have a couple of other backups, some, some young guys that have gotten some time and done pretty well. And a lot of credit has to go to that offensive line. And, and we didn't mention them against Mary Harden Baylor, but it's the same five for Mary Harden Baylor that return last year, you know, so we knew they were Angelo state's not that this is a whole lot of new guys. There's only, I think one senior on their offensive line. This team is set up and, and man, are they good? They're, they're set up for a run for a few years now.
1: Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, uh case Phillips, a, a young running back had 63 yards on 12 carries. He, he led the team with 5.3 yards uh, per carry in this last win. So, you know, he's stepping up, you know, with Greer, you know, you need, you need two or three guys back there. If you're going to run the ball, Uh, 44 times and then out wide noah massey seven catches 96 yards uh you know able to move the ball downfield at at a different element Um, they're going to need all of that because there is a big rematch coming up this saturday uh, at 1 p.m angelo state hosts colorado school of mines the rams beat mines 30 to 27 in overtime back on september 10th that's the only game angelo state didn't win uh, by double digits mines is 11 and 2 on the year and reached this game with a 48-45 to win over Minnesota State uh, last week. Corey, beating a team twice in one season is always hard. Beating a good team twice in one season is even harder. Uh, What does Angelo State have to do this time uh, to to win again and and advance further and keep their national championship hopes alive?
0: Well, the first thing for them is that um, they're at home. This is the first time they've met. Minds at home during this time, and I—I I promise you, they're probably pretty glad they're not traveling to Golden, Colorado this weekend, where, you know, you can get the snow, you can get the horrible weather. I think it's supposed to be 46 there on Saturday, so it, may, it wouldn't have been a bad weekend to go to go, go, Golden, Colorado. But you don't want to risk that yeah. if you're Angelo State. Don't don't tempt that fate. So being at home is good. That's a good starting point. The other thing is. Bynes is playing good football since that Los Angeles state, they have really turned it up. This is going to be brutal. It's going to be a big time battle. I'm going to have, I'm not traveling this weekend. I'm giving my body a chance to recover. I mean, obviously it needs it right now. Uh, So I won't be traveling this weekend, but I will have an eye on all the games going on at the same time. And uh, heck you might get three stories out of it this weekend. We'll see how that goes.
1: And then last up, before we get into some bowl game stuff, you know, UIW, we kind of forget them a little bit because they had the bye. They were the seventh seed in the FCS playoffs, so they didn't have to play in the first round. They were on a seven-game winning streak, and they will host Furman, who is 10 and 10-2 at 1 p.m. on Saturday. You can catch that on ESPN+. Furman is also on a seven-game winning streak. They knocked off Elon 31-6, to another loss for an Elon uh going is a lot of losses for elons right now across the world uh but that that's another one in the first round of the playoffs uh uiw rolling offenses is really good had an extra week uh to prepare the, for this one so it feels like everything is in their favor however gj kenny is a man on every single coaching list and opening that i hear about right i I love yeah. coaching search season. This is my favorite season. This is my this is my prime season. And every job I reach out to anybody about, from agents to other coaches to administration, it feels like G.J. Kinney is at least the second or third name listed. He talked to the media yesterday, uh, recording this on Wednesday. He talked to the media on Tuesday, and he even said it's kind of a thing he's dealing with day to day, just trying to get to get by. We've seen this at every single level of football. When a coach is about to leave their, their, their team struggle. It's just hard. Coaches spend so much time and are so singularly focused on things that when you add any distraction, it can get weird. Liberty lost their last few games with Hugh freeze. We saw what had happened to Ole miss with Lane Kiffin and that kind of stuff. Just, just circling around there. My worry is that Incarnate Word does not play its best game just because of all the outside noise that's happening this week.
0: I personally would have rather seen, and I understand why you don't, because if I'm in his position, I'm not doing this either. But from an outsider's perspective, if you're the coach of a playoff team, you tell those other schools, you're going to have to wait till my season's over. Doing that will cost you jobs, though, especially <laughs> right. because, yeah. like, I was looking at some things for Texas A&M Commerce and, and you know, the possibility of Matt Storm coming back, and I was le- reaching out yesterday trying to figure out how fast that kind of search was going because there's some questions in there. It's They're going fast. And I said, well, that's good because every day right now is prime recruiting time that you're losing out on.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: so I understand why coaches don't wait, schools don't wait. What that does, though, is you only have so many hours in the day and so much energy you can put your focus into each thing. And when the head coach, who's so used to running and keeping – who's keeping up with all this? Who's keeping everybody going? Like there's there's a lot of outside things. I'm not talking X's and O's. I'm I'm talking practice. Yeah. Who's keeping practice going? Who's keeping everything up and, and moving throughout that, that he handles? Because somebody has to. And if he's not putting all of his focus there, which – it's hard when it's split and I, and I don't blame him. Like I said, I, I hope that this man does exactly what he could do. He's a great young coach. I'd love to see him stay. But then again, I'm a little selfish to my small college. Teams. <laughs> I understand the reality is he won't, but yeah, I do worry about that. And, and especially with a Furman team coming in who two losses, uh, a seven point loss at home to number 16, Samford, <laughs> And a 35-12 to 12 loss to number four, Clemson. <laughs>
1: That's
0: a pretty good team. <laughs> this, yeah. this Paladin squad is go, ready to go. And so UIW is going to need full focus. And, and and just let Lindsey Scott Jr. shine. Him shine. And he's the receivers, too. You talk about you don't have a good quarterback without good receivers. He's got it all there. And... It just let them go. Let them play if they can stay focused enough this week. And, and if anyone can make this happen, I think it's G.J. Kinney. Like, he's got this way of dealing with people. He knows how to handle people. And that's a skill that is very rare in any profession. Uh, but it really pays dividends in the college football ranks. And, and that's what's made David Bailiff so special and so good for so long and why his name. Is getting put out there for some of these jobs. Uh, by the way, I hope you don't mind a little side note on that job. Um, he was not let go. He did not come to an agreement on a contract extension. Uh, so that tells you a little bit. Like they, I'm hearing, there was uh, questions about what in his pay he was worried about. He was trying to get his assistants some pay and trying to get scholarships fully funded at the FCS level and he was running into headwinds and he said, Well, I don't need that. Yeah. So, you know, there's a little bit into that program right now as well. But you know, back to UIW, GJ Kitty, he he could do it. Bailiff is the guy who could do it. And I think Kenny's the guy who can handle those distractions too.
1: I think the advantage for incarnate word here is that Kenny doesn't call plays. That's Mac Lefwich's job. You know, and so Um, you know, your play caller is locked in, your defensive coordinator is locked in, you know, that, that will help a little bit. It's different when you're also the OC and the head coach and fielding, you know, calls for jobs and stuff like that. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see how they handle that way. I mean, it's, it's a reality of life, especially at the FCS level. I mean, it's true at the G five level too, right? Anytime you have a really good year as a G five program, you know, your coach is going to get picked off or at least be named and all of those coaching searches and stuff. And so we'll see, we'll see how that, that shakes out. I think a key is being honest with your players 100 because they're human beings like we try to look at these college kids as like they're video game players that don't look at their phone and don't have family members but like if you're the if you're lindsey scott for example i'm just throwing this out it's not like i've talked to lindsey about this but i'd imagine his dad his mom his best friends his girlfriend everybody hey man what's going on with gj kenny is he staying what's happening what's going on here and like that's distracting like it yes it's just a distracting thing um, and so yeah, it'll be I, I, I'm with you. Like being upfront I, I, and honest and not hiding from it is the way to go. And I, I think
0: that's how Kenny will handle this. It is, and 100%. I think that's that's not how it was handled by Hugh Freeze and Lane <laughs> Kiffin. And I think that's the difference right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when there's 10 million dollars on the line, it's harder to be upfront and honest about it, right? You know, and so like there it, it's it's a different beast.
0: It, there's a way to be secretively open about it. Like, sure. guys, look, I am being talked to. I am talking. I don't know what's going to happen. That kind of honesty, other than go, oh, you know. Right. And then, then once the players, once your team starts losing, you go, well, no, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Yeah, okay. We nobody knew. What, nobody knows what to think of you. And also, yeah. they just how didn't. Much hi- they just
1: didn't hire you. You know, you no, were going you were gonna go. They just didn't give you the job. You know.
0: How, how much? how much trust that the players have in those guys coming in, they've got a history. They know the history of these two coaches too. That plays a role as well.
1: And I think at the FCS level, the game is the game because the players are trying to do the same thing too. You know, like they want to hear from Tulsa and Memphis and Texas state and all, you know, like, you know, and so like, I I think it's, it's just, it's become easier because the, the players are doing the same thing with the transfer portal and seeing what's out there. And so, You know, it's not just the coaches being able to do it. It's an even playing field that everybody's getting to do. And I I think that probably helps a little bit as well. You just add a
0: whole nother dimension because now if the coach leaves,
1: it's a free transfer year. Yeah.
0: So now you've got players instead of focusing on Furman, focusing on their future and how do you get them to come back in for this week and say, guys, we got to stay together and focus on right now and not what school you might be at next year. That's hard to do. That'd yeah. be hard to do for me at, at 45 or whatever the heck age I turn every year. I don't keep <laughs> track of it. It's really hard when you're in your early
1: 20s. Yeah. That that bye week may be a negative because of all this, right? It almost allowed yeah. it, it was almost allowed more space for all of this conversation to happen it, it, instead of just like you're just right back on the field and, and going. So I mean, this is the big game, biggest game for most of these UIW players. Uh, biggest game for you know gj kenny goes out there and gets ev- uh, gets embarrassed who knows what his star is anymore right and maybe yeah oh maybe, it'll change yeah right and so like you know there's still plenty of, to go on this i believe uiw will play really well and probably win this football game but it is a part of the game it is you know i don't think x's and o's and talent wise uiw would probably lose this game but i do think you add some of this in they're not far and away better than Furman to where they can sleepwalk through this thing. They're going to have to be at all cylinders to win this football game.
0: No Furman is really good. And I think the only way UIW though, doesn't win is if that lack of focus turns into turnovers here and there. And so that that's the one big concern for me. If the offense is clicking and the defense is as good as it has been UIW wins this probably by two or three touchdowns, but uh, turnovers change a game real fast. And especially in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, look for the start of the game. I think the first quarter will tell us everything. Yeah. But I to UI- say
0: the first quarter to quarter and a half is going to yeah, be really yeah. telling.
1: If UIW comes out, score some points, defense gets some stops, it's like, hey, this whole conversation was moot. They got it rolling. You know, good on them. If this, yeah, if that, if, if that this first 10 10, 10 drives, 13 13 towards halftime, it's like, oh, okay, things are getting a little weird for the Cardinals. I think it's really, uh, really watch the offense and what
0: kind of points they put up. Like you said, I mean, if they can drive down the field, first drive, seven, second drive, seven. Okay. Now we're comfortable. But if your first drive is three and out five and out, you're not scoring at each drive, especially in the playoffs with what it means each drive, they're not putting up touchdowns is going to be a drive that things start to get a little bit hairier, a little more tense. You'll feel it in the stadium a little bit, uh, what's going on with the offense? And if that happens, then you're going to have concerns. But if they could come out and put up 14 points or uh, 10, 14
1: points in the first two drives, they'll be fine. Because Kenny's not the only hot name on that staff. My, Matt no. Leftwich is a dude, man. That guy is a play calling mother. And, and his turning down, it. <laughs> it, yeah. And he'll either follow Kenny wherever Kenny goes, or he's going to get an FBS offensive coordinator job at Sam Houston or Texas State or or somewhere like that along the ways. Uh, Because that third down, for football nerds listening to this podcast right now, just go watch third down offense at an incarnate word. Like it is special. Like it is absolutely special. Uh, They're a lot of fun to watch. Lindsey Scott's been excellent. Sam Conn at The Athletic wrote a really good story on on Lindsey Scott. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch them play. it's a team it's a guy
0: who's so successful on third down because of what he does on first down. Yeah. They're, not, they're you don't see them in a whole lot of third and seven or longer.
1: Before we wrap this up, there's a there's a trio of bowl games involving sub-FBS programs we want to touch on. T- Texas A&M Kingsville plays East Central in the Fun Town RV Heritage Bowl in Corsicana. Kilgore JC takes on Butler and the Champs Heart of Texas Bowl in Commerce, and then Trinity Valley Another junior college school uh, takes on Iowa Central in the Game 1 Bowl. Uh, Corey, is there a game in particular, maybe two games there that you're you're really looking forward to? If you had to pick one of those three to watch, which one do you think you're tuning into?
0: Oh, I would pick Kilgore Butler, but I won't have time on Saturday (laughs) to tune into that game because it starts at 1 o'clock while all the other playoff games are going. Uh, That's just a juicy matchup because that is – that's like a, a Alabama-Clemson type of thing at the FBS. You know, these two teams are are the names of, of JUCO football a lot of times. So that one's really good. I'm interested to see how Kingsville does against the good East Central squad. That's a pretty decent team to get for a bowl game. The practices we've talked about, those are important. They'll help them. Uh, but I'll be watching on Sunday, Trinity Valley and Iowa Central, mainly because the UNI don't. I just like the way that sounds like that, that. sounds like a bowl game that you're going to want to go to. If you're going to play in a dome uh, against Iowa central and for Trinity Valley, if they're not excited to play this game, after what happened to them against Kilgore, then I, I don't know if there's a whole lot you're going to get that team ready for, because that was a chance for them to go out with a very solid taste in their mouth, as opposed to how it ended against Kilgore.
1: Yeah, this is a little off script, but since we got a, a few minutes left on our Zoom before it times us out, because I'm too cheap to get the extended version, Um, even though I could expense it, I just, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, UTRGV starting a, starting a program pretty soon. Uh, I hear that they're wanting to, to hire a head coach sooner than later. I would not be surprised if one is announced by the end of this year sometime in December. We talked about a name that I'd like to mention and discuss for a second, and that's David Bailiff. I know that he's pushing for the Texas State job as well. You know, he he's he played there. He's coached there. He thinks he would do excellent there, and I, I tend to agree with him. I think that'd be a fine, yeah. fine hire for Texas State. If that doesn't happen, I think he would be candidate number one if I am UTRGV because he provides instant name creditability. He's one at that level. He would have the money to go get a staff that you would want. Um, and I, I just feel like him and and Mike Salinas at Kingsville would be the two names that I would probably zero in on. And, and I believe that those are two names that are getting bounced around there at, at RGV right now.
0: And rightfully so, because Mike Salinas, what he did at Kingsville, that was not a good Kingsville team that he took over. He's rebuilt that roster. And he doesn't have the most talented squad, but he's got a team that's going to play harder than anybody else on that football field. That team, they have taken his mentality. He is a very focused, uh, very high-energy type of guy uh, and serious about the game of football. And his players have taken on that. That They they are that on the football field. It shows. It's so much fun to watch. I, I think Bay, if Bailiff goes to UTRGV, to me, that would kind of be like what UTSA did. Yes. Uh, With their first hire, you go get an established name coach that people know that has had success, that can bring credibility. Uh, Obviously, you know, UTRGV, we know they're offering a million and a half for the staff. Uh, Obviously, commerce was not. (laughs) Right. right. So you're in a better position there. Uh, The facilities they're building at UTRGV, like everything is set up for whoever they choose to build. It won't be fast, but to build a program, if it is along the same speed as UTSA has been, that's the trajectory you want to follow now, because that program, since it started, look where, look where they've gone. And it's kind of been a little steady rise. It took a few bumps along the way. That's just going to happen. But yeah, I think, I think he's the perfect guy to get that started. And, uh, I think that would be something that could get him excited. The only down part is a year or two without football, you know, actually coaching a football game might might not be the best thing for a guy like David Bailiff. He loves those Saturdays.
1: Yeah, it, it's tough because you are going to give up a, a season or two of coaching on Saturdays, but it's also a place to really leave a legacy before you ride off into the sunset of retirement, right? Like he can be the guy really laid the foundation there it's hard to get an up-and-comer to come sacrifice a couple of years because you just don't know where that's going to lead on the back end of that but why larry coker was perfect and why i think david bailiff would be uh great is because they were on they're in the twilight of their career they're looking for one last really good run um and and to kind of be the figurehead in the face of, of of a new program that in my opinion has potential to be a sleeping giant uh, one day and at the sub FBS level, uh, I think it, it is really important and something that would be really intriguing. I'm excited for the Rio Gra- Grande Valley to kind of to get this shot and to get this shine and, and spotlight, not only. Uh, for the college players, but for the high school players around there that a lot of times get overlooked, that are really good at football and play really hard and, and, and can win. We've seen it at Kingsville and at different places. And so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. It's just something to keep an eye on over this next month as it does feel like UTRGV is going to make a decision sooner rather than later.
0: That RGV area, because they're going to have an advantage in the Houston area as well. Corpus not far. Corpus, Houston, you're going to start pulling some of these guys you see from Houston that go upwards to a commerce, a Midwestern state, right? They're going to stay closer to home now because you know, the talent level, the, 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 bigger talent that might go to Houston might go, Oh, I get playing time if I go to UTRGV. So then as you kind of thin out some of that talent, you're not getting as quality a player to, to travel out of that area to go away from home. If, if that's not something they're looking to do. So I, I just think RGV that, that program, the only way to kind of stunt that would be is if A and M Kingsville started one and combined, or not Kingsville Corpus Christi started yeah. a program combined in with Kingsville as, as a university. That would be a way that would you might dilute it a little too much at that point, but it would be man, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, having yeah. those
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. That's why Salinas is named to watch because he just yes. he, he's already already uh situated there. Uh, in that area. So that'll do it for us. Uh, a lot of fun. Corey, appreciate you uh working working through your sickness there. Go drink some water, take a nap, put some uh cold towels on your head, whatever it takes to bring that body temp down. Definitely no hero, but I'll I'll take whatever credit I can get. All righty man. We uh we'll talk to y'all next week. Enjoy the games over the weekend. Please rate and subscribe this wherever you can find it and go to Texasfootball.com for the latest at every single level for Mike Craven, Corey Hogue Thank you for Republic of Football.